chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. It's printed in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible handy. You'll recall last week we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 and how when we referenced over in Matthew's gospel how the, the people sought to make Jesus king. We pick up at that point now. If you're able, please rise out of respect for God's word as I read Mark 6, verses 45 to 56. This is the inspired word of God. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it there were made well. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we know that you are the only source of light, so we pray that you would open our eyes to that light through the preaching of your word here today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, this, this week I was in Denver for our General Assembly, and it was a gloriously wonderful week. I was able to, with about a thousand other people, behold the glory of God. We beheld the glory of God each day as, as each day began with a worship service, and each day ended with a worship service. We beheld the glory of God as work was completed amongst his people and reports were given as to how God was powerfully at work in their midst. We beheld the glory of God as unity existed amongst people who have some different tendencies and different leanings and different ideas about some of the non-essential periphery things of our faith. Beheld the glory of God as we looked upon the beauty of creation, the rocky mountains which were visible from inside the church. They actually have a giant window on one side. As you look out, you can see the mountains in all their grandeur. 
I'm sure the pastor is not by accident that they have it uh, uh, shade that drops down during the sermon. So you can't look out there anymore. You have to pay attention up here. I'm sure the pastor's glad about that, right? Because otherwise nobody would pay attention because it was just so beautiful. He beheld the glory of God in the power of creation as, as a tornado literally rolled over the church, uprooting trees on the church property while we were there. And we scurried down to the basement to spend 45 minutes down there. And we beheld the glory of God as, as I held, heard a, a sound in the distance growing louder and louder and louder. No, not the tornado. The singing of holy, holy, holy as we gathered there in the basement. And we sang that beautiful, familiar hymn of our faith, exalting the glory and the holiness of our God. I experienced the glory of God through all that I saw there this week, and I was prompted to worship God. And today, it is my hope and my prayer that we will once more observe the glory of God, and that it will lead us to worship. We look in our text and see three different things that different people saw. We see that the Lord saw, and he helped in response. We see that the disciples saw, and they feared. And then finally, we see the crowds saw, and they believed. Let's look first at the Lord. Immediately, we read in verse 45, that word again that, that keeps showing up in Mark. Immediately, 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 he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side as he dismissed the crowd, right? Remember the context. They, they wanted to make Jesus king, and, and he was having nothing of it. The problem was twofold. First, he already was king. Right? They, they couldn't make him king because he was king already. But beyond that, the kind of king that they were looking for was not the kind of king that he was interested in becoming. As, as we read in, in John 18, as he's speaking to Pilate, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And he wanted to send the 12 away so that they might not get swept up in this, that they might get a little bit of a break, that they might get some time away from the crowds, that they might have some rest and, and relax, relaxing uh, time together, that they might uh, be able to, to be refreshed. And so they get on the boat and they're going across. And, and Jesus, we see, as he, he sends them away, essentially tells them, go to the other side, rest up, I'll, I'll be with you in just a little bit. And, and while the 12 are leading Jesus, dismisses the crowd, and he goes up, we see, on the mountain to pray. He, he needed time with his heavenly Father. He needed time of his own with the Lord. He needed time in prayer. And I can guarantee you, brothers and sisters, if our Lord needed time for prayer, then we need time for prayer as well, right? If, if Jesus needed time set apart to be praying, then we need to be doing the same. We need to be in a, in a mind praying constantly throughout the day, a conversation with God that's ongoing. But apart from that, we need to be setting time apart in our days where we just get alone with God. Get alone with God and just 
Share with him the burdens of our heart. Share with him our, our praises of him. Share with him just what is going on in our lives, not so that he can learn something he doesn't know already, but so that our relationship can be built up and strengthened, that we might know more of God through this time in prayer. We see that when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. It was out on the sea, and they were, they were, uh, they were struggling. They were making headway painfully, verse 48 tells us, as they were out on the sea. And, and Jesus saw them. He saw the struggles they were having. He saw the, the difficulty that they were experiencing. He, he saw how hard it was for them to get across the sea. And know this, God always sees how hard our lives are. We have, we have difficulties in life indeed, but God is aware, right? They're not happening because he has fallen asleep. They're not happening because he's not paying attention. Right? As we read in Job, his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. But in this situation, they're making headway painfully and the wind is against them. But we need to remember this. They're in this situation, why? because this is exactly where Jesus sent them, right? They're not out on the boat in the sea, in the winds and the waves and the storm because they've been disobedient. They're exactly where the Lord put them. He told them to do this. They were obedient, and now they're facing the storm. There are times where the Lord puts us in those situations, just as we sang before, so that, so that we might go through the furnace, right? Go through the furnace that, that, that our gold might be refined, that the, the dross might be burned off. The Lord does that for us sometimes. So don't think that you should follow Jesus so that you can have an easy life. And I think sometimes people do that. That's the, the pseudo gospel that is no gospel at all. Right? The people tell, well, well, follow Jesus and, and everything will be easy then. Right? You'll get rich and you won't have any problems and you'll never be sick and, and things will always be great. Follow Jesus and, and that's how life will be. But that's not what the Bible promises. It doesn't purport to. Right? Jesus sometimes sends you into the valley of the shadow of death so that you might know that he is with you that you might find your comfort in and with him. And so it is here. It's about the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. And, and Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And, and you know, I think sometimes we're familiar with this passage maybe, and, and, and we just kind of move past that, right? Jesus... Jesus came to them walking on the sea, of course. Well, I just want to stop for a second. Just kind of put yourself in their shoes and imagine you're seeing what they're seeing. Jesus is coming to them walking on the water. He's coming to them in the midst of their need in all the power of God. He's coming to them and, and that's what Jesus does. He comes to us in the midst of our need in all the power of God. That's what the incarnation's all about, isn't it? Right? We had a need that we could not take care of on our, on our own. Right? We had a debt 
that we could not pay. We had a burden that we could not remove from ourselves. We were enslaved to our sin, dead in our sin. And Jesus came to us in the midst of that need. But he did so as a man, just as us, but not just any man. As a man who is not just a man, but a man who is also the very Son of God. God incarnate. God in the flesh. He came with all the power of God. And he attends to our need. And he did this by dying on the cross, paying our penalty, dying the death we deserved, freeing us from bondage to sin, paying our debt, and giving us life, giving us his righteousness, his righteousness that is, is perfect righteousness, holy in all his ways, and now clothing us in that righteousness that we might be righteousness. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, right? And so we look to God as our Father, not because just we are naturally his children, but because of Jesus and what he has done and because of, of the fact that we are adopted in Christ Jesus, just as when I married into, my, when I married Aaron, I married into her family. Her parents became parents to me. They loved me because of my union with my wife. And so it is that God loves us because of our union with Christ. We are bound to him and he has come in the midst of our need. He's come in all the power of God. He has stepped through the veil that is between heaven and earth. He has stepped in between time and eternity. And he has brought us salvation. We, we see him at work here. And this is just the most, just the, the most stunning thing about this whole passage, I think. This, this phrase here says, he meant to pass them by or pass by them. Isn't that odd? Right? I mean, like, what is Jesus thinking here? He meant to pass by. I think like if we go on a walk in our neighborhood and we're walking around and the neighbors are there and, and we'll just kind of, hi, wave to them and keep on walking, right? But is this what Jesus is going to do? He's just out walking on the sea and, hi guys, see you later. That doesn't make any sense. What, what's going on here? Well, I, I think one thing that's going on here is sometimes Jesus means to pass by us because he wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to call out to him. He wants us to realize our need, realize that he is the only one that can take care of our need, and he wants us to cry out to him. It's like in Mark 10, which we'll obviously get to later in this sermon series, but I wanted to go there now. There's blind Bartimaeus, the, the blind beggar, sitting on the roadside in Mark 10, 47, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by, he began to cry out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? He, he wants us to know that we need his mercy. We need his grace. We need his power. We need his love. We need Jesus. And he wants us to cry out for him. But that's not the only thing going on here. I think there's more. Uh, we, we read together earlier in, in our unison scripture reading in Exodus 33, right? The the Lord said, 
that he was going to place Moses on the rock. And he said what? While my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And in the very next chapter, we read that this is exactly what happened, right? Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God placed Moses in the cleft of that rock and he passed by. God passed by him. And what did Moses do in response? Well, he did what, what was the only thing he could do. You read in verse 8 of chapter 34, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. You see what Jesus is doing here in today's text when it speaks how he meant to pass him by. He is, he is God incarnate. And just as God passed by Moses there, so Jesus is passing by the disciples here. There are echoes of Job 9 which speaks of, uh, speaks of God. Job is speaking. He says he is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Uh, he goes on to say, he who removes mountains, who shakes the earth out of its place, who commands the sun, it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Right? God is the one who trampled the waves of the sea, who walked on the water. God alone. Later in verse 11, it says, behold... He passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. And just like we read in Job in today's text, God himself, in the person of Christ Jesus, treads on the waves and passes them by, but they do not discern him. Right? We see it there. They saw him walking on the sea, and they thought it was a ghost. This is point two, the disciples saw and they feared. The Greek word there for ghost, it's phantasma. We get our word phantom, right? It comes from that. They saw him walking in the sea. They thought he was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and they were terrified. You can't really blame them, can you? I mean, just imagine going out for a moonlit uh, boat ride and a storm comes up and you're already a little on edge because of the storm, right? You know, the water's kind of splashing around and into the boat and you're afraid maybe you might capsize and, and you're holding on and all of a sudden you see someone or something come walking across the water. Of course they were terrified. Of course they were fearful. You can't really blame them. But immediately, once more, he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Three things there. The first one, take heart. Literally, be encouraged. Right? It's not saying life will not throw you any curveballs. He's not saying that. He's not saying everything's going to be easy. No. In John 16, Jesus says, 
in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. Right? Jesus is the one who has overcome the world. He's overcome all things, so we need fear nothing. Right? I've heard it said before, I think it's a good point. What, what's the worst thing that could happen to us? Well, it's death. But wait, that's the best thing that could happen to us. For we're in the presence of the Lord. If the worst thing that can happen to you is that you'd be ushered into the presence of the Lord as your Father who loves you and welcomes you in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, why should we worry about anything? Why should we fear anything? We can take heart. He says, do not be afraid. It, it echoes Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, so it is that he offers this, this three-part saying, you know, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. But the middle part, that it is I, is the key to the two outside parts. Right? You take heart. You, you, you are not afraid. Why? Because of who God is. Jesus says, it is I. The Greek, ego e me. It's the exact same thing that God says when, when Moses asks him in, in Exodus 3, who should I say has sent me? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I am. It is I. He is taking the name of God for his own, just as he would in John chapter 8, right, when he told the people that Father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad, and, and the people were taken aback by that. And, and they, they said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. How is it possible that you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming the name of God. Make no mistake about it. They were perfectly clear on what his intentions were. Because the very next verse tells us they picked up stones to stone him. Right? They weren't stoning him because they thought he was delusional. They were stoning him because they thought he was heretical. And indeed, he would have been heretical to take the name of God as his own were he not God in the flesh. And so, he says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's interesting, I think, in looking at this passage here, not just what Mark tells us, but what Mark doesn't tell us. Remember, Mark worked essentially as Peter's secretary. So we assume that most of this information that we find in the gospel of Mark is information that, that Peter gave him, the first-hand accounts of things like this uh, on the sea, where the only people there were Jesus and the 12. Peter's the one who told him what happened. What do we not see in this account that you might remember from your days in Sunday school as a child when Jesus walked on the water and they got scared in the boat? The one thing you don't see here that you remember from Matthew's telling of it is this, Matthew 14. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Come, he said. And then there's this verse that we often don't give enough heed, I think. It says, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Right? And Jesus immediately reached him and grabbed him and got him and said, you have little faith, why did you doubt? He drags him into, and they step into the boat, right? But, but I don't want to lose sight of this. What did Peter do? Peter walked on water. I, I, when I was in college, was part of a ministry that brought in this traveling illusionist who would do these different illusions and he would debunk all kinds of uh, all kinds of claims by different people, and he'd give a gospel presentation. His name was Andre Cole, uh, but his big, his big shtick, his big thing, his big trick that he did, and he did lots of things. He actually helped, you know, like David Copperfield and stuff, creating his tricks, but, but his big thing that he did was he had this big tank of water, and he would, he would prepare it by saying, there's only been one man ever to walk on water. And I'm going to try to do it tonight, right? But, but that's not technically true. <laughs> Peter walked on water as well. That's pretty impressive. But I think that Peter didn't want to draw any attention to himself. He wanted all the attention to be on Jesus. He wanted all the glory to be that that went to Jesus. And so that's not part of his story as he tells it here. It's just Jesus walked in the water, he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And as much as they had feared him when they thought he was a ghost, now that they realized it was Jesus, it was perhaps even more fearful. Right? They were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hard. They didn't understand. They should have understood when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, that he is God. It should have been clear to them at that point, but they did not understand. And so that's why they were fearful when they saw him walking across the water. But as Matthew says, when they got into the boat, they worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. They realized that he was, and they worshiped then. It didn't take the crowds quite as long. We see the crowds... This is our third point, saw and believed. Right? They cross over, they get to Gennesaret, they moor on the shore there, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. They ran about the whole region, we read, and began to bring sick people on their beds wherever he was. The way Mark writes it, it seems like there was a frenzy of action. Quick, quick, let's, let's, let's go, quick, over here, get this person. Oh, oh, wait, he's, bring him, right? There's this frenzy of action everywhere that's going on. And wherever he came in, villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, like that woman you'll remember from earlier who had been bleeding for 12 years. If I could just but touch the fringe of his garment, and just like her, we see here, as many as touched it were made well. Why were they made well? It's because they had faith. Not faith in faith, not faith in religion, but faith in Jesus. They trusted Jesus. And he sought to display his glory through them. 
It's precisely the kind of faith that the disciples lacked when they were out on the water, right? Here's the good news, though. The fact that, that, that the disciples lacked that faith at first doesn't mean that they were, were out. Jesus didn't say, I'm done with you. You didn't get this right away. Just be gone. I don't have time for you. That's not the heart of Jesus. It wasn't too late. He still displayed his glory to them. There was still time for them to believe, to trust in him. And if you have failed to trust in Jesus up to this point, there's time for you now, here today, to trust in him as well. To trust in him, to give yourself to him, to to trust in him, to depend upon him. He is still making his glory known to you today through his word and the preaching of it right now. He is at work. And so I want to close with two related questions for you today. The first one is this. What do you want to see? What do you want to see? In John 12, we read that there were those who went up to worship at the feast who were Greek, and these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I heard of a pastor once who was a guest preacher at a church, and, and when he stepped up into the pulpit, he saw they had a little plaque engraved in the pulpit with that part of that Bible verse. John 12, 21b. This plaque said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. What a wonderful reminder for any preacher as they step into the pulpit. It would be wonderful to have every pulpit in all the church, worldwide, have that in it. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's my desire when I step into the pulpit is to show you Jesus. And I hope it is your desire to see Jesus. The question is, once you do see Jesus, how are you going to respond? What is your response to seeing Jesus? Will you respond in fear because you don't quite understand everything, right? Pete, you said a lot of things and some of it makes sense, but some of it I just don't get. Some of it doesn't make sense. I I can't figure out how exactly that works. How can Jesus be fully God and fully man? I, I just can't make that work in my mind. How can God be three persons yet one God? Wait, I'm not sure I understand that. Are you going to be fearful and worried because you can't understand everything? Or will you respond in faith, trusting the one who comes to you in your need, the one who comes to you with all the power of God? I assure you that Jesus sees you no matter what your questions, no matter what your needs, no matter what your shortcomings, your problems, your struggles, your past, no matter what your present, Jesus sees you. He is there to help you. He is there to save you. If you will only find yourself hidden in him alone, behold his glory and worship him, saying truly you are the son of God. Will you pray with me?
Our Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your only son, that we might be hidden in him, that we might be shielded from your holiness by him who was holy and is holy and will always be holy, that we might be found in him, the righteous one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the rock cleft for us. Thank you for Jesus. May our eyes behold him here today. May our eyes behold him more and more. May we see Christ Jesus as he truly is and thus be changed, transformed unto glory, unto glory. As we trust in him alone, it's in his name we ask it. Amen. If you're able, would you rise now as we sing together hymn 452, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. be sure to always seek Christ Jesus, not seeking our own efforts, not the labors of our hands, which could never fill the law's demands, but rather be found in Christ Jesus, the rock of ages, cleft for us. Let us hide ourselves in him. And now as you go forth from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.